0: The ground is still damp from the rain over the last few days. The smell of natural, earthy decay fills the air in a pleasant way. You don't have a lot of time, but this stroll through the forest is a perfect way to clear your head before it's time to taxi the kids here and there for all their evening activities. As you make your way through the woods, you don't check your guide. You know exactly what you're looking for. You and your family have forged in these woods for years. Only a few minutes later, you spot the mushrooms. They have freshly erupted from the soil, the white dome of the mushroom's cap starkly contrasting with the dark, loamy soil. The oak tree's leaves and the breeze overhead makes shadows dance over the mushrooms. There are several, and they look delicious. You quickly fill your sack, leaving nothing for the next forager. As you quickly make your way home, you salivate, thinking about what you will make to eat with your fresh bounty. You think of the guests you have invited over for a meal the next day. You'll serve them a special treat. Maybe a mushroom soup or a risotto or, even better, a beef wellington, but you're not sure you have enough. You can always add some button mushrooms from the store. Yes, that will do perfectly. When you reach home, you put them in a paper bag and get on with your busy evening, still basking in your fungal plans for the following day. Beef Wellington will be on the menu. It will feed the entire family, plus a couple extra guests. It will certainly be a memorable meal for those who survive it. Welcome to Twisted Travel and True Crime. I'm your host, Sandy. I want to take a moment to thank you for listening and for all the great things you do to help this little podcast grow including giving it a nice rating and review or sharing it with a friend your kindness keeps this podcast growing and makes my heart sing if you'd like to see pictures to go with today's case check out twisted travel and true crime on facebook instagram or on the patreon page there are links to those in the episode description Today's case is taking place in the small Victorian town of Leangatha. The name Leangatha comes from an Aboriginal word that means tooth or refers to teeth, which is a bit ironic when it comes to this case. There are just over 5,000 people living in this town and among them is Erin Patterson, a 48-year-old, recently separated mother of two. She happens to be the chef du jour, the maker of the Beef Wellington. And although she may not have picked the mushrooms in the way I described in the opening, she certainly prepared them. I want to make it clear from the beginning that this case is still under investigation. The media and the masses are all at the table begging for scraps, but only speculation and allegations are being served. Chef Aaron Patterson invited her recently separated husband, her in laws, and her uncle and aunt in law over for a very fancy lunch. Of the five that ate, three would die. Aaron grew up in the suburbs of Melbourne. She was born Erin Scudder. Her mother was a professor and a popular children's book critic. Aaron met Simon Peterson in college, and they married in 2006. Simon was a basketball coach and a civil engineer who loved photography. Soon after they married, they had two children. Erin was known in the community for being kind of shy and reclusive. She liked her alone time and books. In fact, she owned a bookshop for a few years. The Patterson extended family were very well regarded in Leongatha. They were well known and respected in the community. Simon's parents, Gail and Don, were longtime school teachers in the area and ran a local newsletter called the Borough Flyer. They ran it together before passing the torch on to Aaron, who had quit her job years earlier to be a stay-at-home mother. Simon, whose hobby was photography, traveled to Africa and other overseas countries to pursue his craft. His photos were regularly printed in the flyer. The other couple, Heather and Ian Wilkerson, as I said, were Aaron's aunt and uncle-in-law. Ian was a beloved Baptist pastor, who kept the local Baptist church up and running during the pandemic, by streaming services online. He was always happy to volunteer and help others in the community. He did things like maintenance work at the local retirement home, mowing lawns for the elderly, and even built a playground at the church. His wife, Heather, was an excellent mother and a gifted teacher whose students loved her. She was creative and uncompromising, but full of grace. Aaron was relatively close to her in-laws, because her parents had passed away. They had both died of cancer, with her mother passing last in 2019. After her parents died, Erin and her sister split a hefty inheritance, and Aaron became independently wealthy. It was around this time, in early 2020, that she and Simon separated. Simon moved in with his parents for a while, and their property was beginning to be divided, listing separation as the reason. Their separation seemed fairly amicable, with Simon staying close by, likely because of his children. Aaron had invited Simon, his parents, and the Wilkinsons over to what was described as a reconciliation attempt. Some say it was going to be a discussion about the couple getting back together, while others believe it was to negotiate custody between the two parents. Simon's parents and the Wilkinsons would act as mediators. Again, just a reminder that a lot of this information is second-hand coming from friends, people in the church, and the community, and is not fact at this point. The date was set for Saturday, July 29th, and Aaron's meal prep had been lengthy. Beef Wellington, for those of us who don't know, is a very challenging dish to make. It's essentially a beefsteak or tenderloin, wrapped in a layer of mushroom and ham pâté, and then wrapped in a second layer of puff pastry. It sounds amazing, and now I want to try some. Erin was known to be detailed, and the meal would be delicious. The mushrooms had sautéed perfectly, but she hadn't tasted them. That'd be rude and unsanitary, especially since she was having important guests over. The meaty and slightly sweet mushrooms were aromatic, and the room would have been filled with the odors of a delicious meal. Erin may have felt dismayed when she found out that Simon wasn't going to be able to come after all. He pulled out at the last minute, but being a good host, she'd still feed his parents and his uncle and aunt. She and Simon's kids had prearranged plans to go to a movie. Maybe Erin's guests brought wine and toasts were made, or perhaps problems were discussed over the delicious meal. Either way, after the meal, everyone went their separate ways with full bellies, feeling satiated. Aaron's four elderly lunch guests started feeling a little bit off. They weren't sure what it was, maybe too rich of a meal in the middle of the day, but as time went on, things got worse. The urge to vomit became more than an urge, and after a while, the vomiting got worse, nearly debilitating. When the puking stops, the cold porcelain of the toilet bowl doesn't soothe the burning in their stomachs. The acidic taste left in their mouths becomes a fleeting thought when they barely have time to transition from one position to another before a tidal wave of diarrhea makes itself known. When their stomachs and bowels are completely emptied, they may have felt some relief, but it doesn't last. The constant cycle of vomiting, diarrhea, and the impossibility of keeping any liquid down forces her guests to make a trip to the local hospital. It's an absolute necessity. Between waves of sickness, they try to answer the doctor's questions. Did you eat anything out of the ordinary yesterday? In pairs, the only answer they could give was the beef wellington. At some point, Erin herself is admitted to the hospital, suffering from stomach distress too. The hospital staff have realized they have several patients who are all at the same place, and suffering from the same symptoms. It was fairly easy to figure out that they'd all eaten the same meal. It must be food poisoning, or something worse. After getting a saline drip, things begin to calm. They begin to feel better, and maybe a little bit foolish, thinking that they had food poisoning. The diarrhea and vomiting has subsided, but because of their advanced ages, many of them are kept at the hospital, and it's a good thing, Because as Sunday progresses, the four elderly patients aren't getting better. Another wave of nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea hits them hard. Testing at the hospital shows increasing liver damage, which indicates poisoning of some kind. And with mushrooms being on the menu, that's where the staff place their bets. They fear that the four patients have consumed a deadly wild mushroom called the death cap. They are all transferred to a hospital in Melbourne for further treatments. Aaron begins to recover and is later released. There are thousands of species of wild mushrooms in Australia, but only a few that can kill someone. Many of these are from the Amanita family, of which the death cap is one of the most deadly. A single mushroom can kill an adult. Amatoxins are one of the deadliest natural poisons on Earth, 7 milligrams, an amount that would fit into a quarter grain of rice, is enough to kill someone, compared to a full teaspoon of cyanide. The toxin binds to your cells and makes them unable to keep themselves alive. The more you ingest, the more cells it kills. People die all over the world from eating this mushroom, although it's more prevalent in Europe and Asia, where people tend to do more foraging. In 2015, More than 40 German refugees were hospitalized because of eating mushrooms with amatoxin in them. Like some people I've known, amatoxins don't always announce their toxicity. The mushrooms aren't bright and flashy. They aren't bitter, and because of this, they have become an effective murder weapon throughout the ages. They've been used to kill Roman royalty and have been used in serial murders. The financial manipulator, Henry Girard, purportedly a rather dashing-looking Parisian, made it his practice to ensure the lives of various acquaintances and then have himself listed as their primary beneficiary. These people soon died under mysterious circumstances by his hand. Gerard's weapon of choice were the natural toxins from the mushrooms of the genus Amanita, as well as various pathogenic bacteria. He was taken into custody in 1912, but cheated the French court by taking one of his own toxic germ cultures, most likely typhoid. In 2012, a death cap mushroom poisoning case happened in Australia when a chef was hired to prepare a meal. He foraged for mushrooms and prepared the meal. Days later, the chef and several guests who had eaten the meal died. Amatoxins can't be destroyed by freezing, drying, or cooking either. Strangely, dogs by the hundreds die from eating these mushrooms, but rats are almost totally immune. Women are more likely to die than men, and the very old and very young are hit harder by the poison as well. That being said, not everyone who ingests amatoxin will die. The death rate may be as high as 60%, but it's typically estimated to be between 10 and 30% of adults. The toxin circulates through the body repeatedly, quickly destroying the liver, and there is no cure. By Friday, six days after eating the meal, Aaron prepared for them. The two women died. The next day, Aaron's father-in-law dies. Pastor Ian Wilkinson remained hospitalized with liver failure. Between the first bout of illness and their deaths, the four lunch guests had time to talk to the ones they loved. They felt the impending doom of what was likely a death sentence. They knew they'd been poisoned, and that the poison was slowly overcoming their bodies. They knew they were likely facing the end of their lives, staring death in the face, so to speak. They had time to record messages to their loved ones, and face the fact that they were going to miss out on years of their loved ones' lives. It would be like sitting on death row, just waiting, waiting with a sense of impending doom. They also had time to discuss Aaron and her intentions. Simon, who had missed the meal, would have been there to hear what they had to say, and what was said must have been enough to convince police that she needed to be looked at as a suspect in what may have been an intentional poisoning. That same day that Aaron's father in law died, the police raided her house, they took phones, computers, and things of that nature. The police interviewed her, and she provided a no-comment statement. Interestingly, it seems that Erin was a true crime enthusiast. She was a member of several Facebook true crime groups, and likely learned a thing or two. She kept her mouth shut. For a little while, at least. Nine days after the meal, Erin was named as a person of interest in the case, However, the police wanted to be clear at that point in the investigation that the deaths were only unexplained, not suspicious. Inspector Thomas shared with the public that Aaron and her two children also presented to the hospital as a precaution, but noted they didn't have symptoms. Later that day, reporters caught up with Erin for the first time and questioned her. She had just arrived home with bags of groceries in the back of her car, when she was surrounded by journalists who began tossing out questions. Her actions and responses fueled a firestorm of criticism. "'It's a tragedy what has happened. I didn't do anything,' a tearful Erin re- told reporters outside her home. "'I love them, and I'm devastated they're gone.' She adds that she is so devastated that her own children have lost their grandparents. "'They've lost their grandmother,' she continued. "'I'm so sorry they've lost their lives.' She denied any wrongdoing, but didn't answer questions about where the mushrooms came from, who picked them, or what meal she made for her guests. Her responses fielded a fire of criticism from people who thought that her tears weren't real and that her crying as she made her statements wasn't real either. We know it's not a good idea to judge people based on their stress responses. Her extended family had just died. She had cooked them a poisonous meal. If the poisoning was an accident... The guilt she would have felt would have been overwhelming, and the judgment from people who thought she did it intentionally would weigh very heavily. She may have been angry and surprised to have been ambushed by the press, too, so we probably shouldn't judge her media interview. That being said, the next day it came to light that Simon, her estranged husband, had almost died twice from unexplainable stomach issues over the past year. You heard that right. Earlier in the year, he shared the following online. Some of you will know that I've had some serious medical problems since late May. I collapsed at home, then was in an induced coma for 16 days, through which I had three emergency operations, mainly on my small intestine, plus an additional planned operation. My family were asked to come and say goodbye to me twice, as I was not expected to live. I was in intensive care for 21 days, after which I was in the general ward for a week, and now I'm at a rehab place since last Saturday. I'm pleased to say that all the medical work has seemed to have fixed the serious gut problems I had, and I've been feeling great for many days. I feel no pain, and it all seems to have no impact on my personality, character, or on anything much else. I have a big scar on my tummy, which is healing, very slowly and have ICU acquired weakness, which is a common condition of people who lie in intensive care for as long as I did. I can walk and do all the normal daily functions myself. However, my left shoulder in particular is very weak. I've been working hard at physio to build muscle strength. Both arms still need work so I can get back to basketball, hopefully in 2023. I'm expected to make a full recovery so I'm back to the same capacity I had before I collapsed. He didn't come out and voice any concerns about what made him sick, but him being that sick and not knowing what caused it is very suspicious, or one hell of a coincidence, if you ask me. But that wasn't all. Earlier in the week, after the mushroom meal, while Simon, Aaron, and their kids were at the hospital, the kids brought up Aaron's dehydrator. When the topic came up, Simon must have been thinking about when he fell sick earlier that year. He must have put two and two together, because he asked her point blank if that dehydrator was what she had used to kill his parents. I don't know what Aaron's response was that day, but Aaron went home and threw the dehydrator away. When the police asked her about it, she lied to them and told them that she'd thrown it away months ago. They didn't believe her and they went looking for it and sure enough they found it at the local dump they sent it in to be searched for death-cap mushroom spores when they confronted erin with this information she apologized for lying to them and said that she'd been scared of losing custody of her kids when simon accused her of poisoning his family she felt like she should get rid of the dehydrator you know the one the dehydrator that she definitely didn't put any poisonous mushrooms in and that definitely wouldn't have any evidence inside of it. So I get rid of it? Suspicious to say the least, and at this point, she is not looking very innocent. Erin had initially chosen to remain silent, but when what I just shared with you was revealed, she decided she would write to the police, telling them her side of the story. Her statement was leaked to the media. ABC obtained the statement, and they wrote the following. "Gitsland woman Erin Patterson has given her first detailed account of what transpired before and after the fatal lunch. In it, she said, I am now wanting to clear up the record because I have become extremely stressed and overwhelmed by the deaths of my loved ones. I'm hoping this statement might help in some way. I believe if people understood the background more, they would not be so quick to rush to judgment. I am now devastated to think that these mushrooms may have contributed to the illness suffered by my loved ones. I really want to repeat that I had absolutely no reason to hurt these people whom I loved. According to her statement, Erin served the meal and allowed the guests to choose their own plates. She then took the last plate and ate a serving of the beef wellington herself. Her children were not present for the meal, but she said that her children ate the leftovers from the lunch the following night, which would have been the evening of the 30th. However, Aaron said that the children do not like mushrooms, so she scraped the mushrooms off the meal. I want to note here that, according to my research, amanita poison is water-soluble, so it would have seeped into the meat and the breading around the wellington. The poison would not have stayed in just the mushrooms. Aaron also shared that it had not been previously released to the public that she had also been hospitalized after the lunch with bad stomach pains and diarrhea and was put on a saline drip and given a liver-protective drug. According to ABC, the Gippsland Southern Health Service confirmed that, yes, a fifth person did present at Liangatha Hospital on July 30th with suspected food poisoning and was sent on to a second hospital in Monash. If this person was Aaron, which we presume to be true, well, then how could she have served the beef wellington, minus the mushrooms, to her kids that evening? I need a little more clarification on that timeline, but I haven't been able to find it. Not only that, I can't help but wonder, in an age of cell phones and social media, if Erin already knew that her relatives were sick and in the hospital, and if she did, she definitely wouldn't have served the wellington to her kids. Erin said she was transported by ambulance from the Lee Hospital to the Monash Medical Center in Melbourne on July 31st. She also said that she preserved what was left of the lunch and willingly gave it to hospital toxicologists for examination. And she told the investigators from the department where she had bought the mushrooms, although she couldn't remember the specific Asian shop in Melbourne where she bought the dried fungi. Erin went on to say that the mushroom used in the Beef Wellington were a mixture of button mushrooms purchased at a major supermarket chain and dried mushrooms she'd bought at an Asian grocery store in Melbourne months before. At the button stage, before the cap fully opens, death cap mushrooms look a lot like a patty straw mushroom, which is a mushroom grown and cultivated in Asia. She said the mushrooms that she bought had a handwritten label on them and that she couldn't read what it said. Erin said officials from the police department later sent her photographs of packs of mushrooms with handwritten labels similar to those she described to them. The Asian and Australian mushroom businesses in Australia were up in arms. They had never had anyone die from eating their mushrooms. They said that the cultivation of mushrooms is very strictly regulated, and there was no way a deadly mushroom would be mixed with cultivated ones, neither dried nor fresh. But back to Erin's statement. She also admitted publicly that she lied to the investigators when she told them she had dumped the dehydrator a long time ago, once again stating the reason she did it was fear of losing her children. As for the fact her estranged husband Simon reportedly spent a fortnight in a hospital in May last year with severe stomach illness, she said it was unrelated and explained that she reluctantly agreed to nurse Simon for three weeks after he was discharged from the hospital, before telling him that she didn't want to reconcile with him. She acknowledged that Simon had intended to join her at the fatal lunch, but that he had told her prior to the day that he would not be attending. On another side note, it seemed strange that she would still host a reconciliation meal with her in-laws without Simon being there. If the meeting was a bid to get Simon back, it seems like a horrible way to go about doing so. And if it was to discuss custody, well, Simon would have to be there for that. Finally, she paid tribute to her parents-in-law, saying that she had been close to them for a long time and had maintained a positive relationship even after her marriage broke down. She said, Her relationship with Simon's parents was affected to some degree by seeing them less after my marriage breakdown with Simon. However, she had never felt differently towards them. A representative for Simon Patterson declined to comment on her statements. Over the next weeks and months, tidbits of information came from various sources, some of which will not be reliable and won't be presented in court but some of what had been said includes a friend of the family saying that not only did Erin have books about wild mushrooms in her house, she was allegedly an excellent forager, and her family had often foraged for mushrooms together. She certainly would have known what mushrooms to stay away from. The question is, would she have known what mushrooms to pick if she intentionally wanted to poison her family? A painter who was hired to work on one of Aaron's homes shared pictures of what he called a death wall inside Aaron's former home in Corumbura. He said he was hired to do some painting the prior year. The worker, who wished to remain anonymous, told news.com.au, AU, I've looked at it and gone, holy shit, what the hell's going on here? All right, that's a terrible Australian accent. I tried. One chilling drawing shows two stick figures with the words, I am dead, and no, I am really dead. Beside them appear to be three tombstones with the words, Grandma R.I.P., Hannah R.I.P., and me R.I.P. on them. Other parts read, You don't have long to live, one hour exactly. You're dead from my sword, and get ready. The painter, aged 46, added, We started calling it the death wall. He thought it was scary for kids to do this inside the kitchen slash dining room, which is why he took the picture in the first place. To be honest, my kids might draw something creepy like this around Halloween or after watching a scary movie. Erin reportedly liked true crime. Maybe she listened to true crime podcasts and her kids overheard them. Who knows? On the afternoon of Thursday, November 2nd, as the residents of Leon Gotha came together to eat, there was only one name being spoken about in the shops, cafes, and farms, Erin Patterson. News alerts from all the main media platforms had just announced to the entire nation that she had been arrested in relation to the now infamous lunch. A few hours after the arrest news broke, the media had more information to shock the local community further. Aaron had been charged with three counts of murder. Later, five counts of attempted murder would be attached. Those likely relate to attempts on the pastor's life as well as Simon's life. This suggests that she attempted to poison Simon on multiple occasions prior to the deadly lunch. The community had for months already been in mourning for those who died. There were always fresh flowers being placed on the graves of Simon's parents, and his Aunt Heather Wilkinson. At a memorial service for his parents, Simon shared the last text message his mother had sent to their family group chat before she died in the hospital. It read, "'Lots of love to you all.'" Simon shared that as his parents lay in comas in the hospital in their final days and each day, he was unsure if they would recover or not. He said that it was comforting to know that when we said, "'See you later,' We knew it was true. The only thing we didn't know was when. And in the meantime, we'll miss them. There had been a huge relief that Pastor Wilkinson had survived after spending two months in the hospital under the care of renowned liver specialists. He and Simon's father had both had emergency liver transplants. The timing had to be perfect. The toxin had to be completely out of their bodies but they still had to be alive and healthy enough to survive a transplant. A few hours too late and they wouldn't live. This meant two people who had been on the transplant list for years lost a liver that could have saved them. Sadly, Simon's father didn't survive. Pastor Wilkinson, who had been cut open from under the rib cage and up the sternum in order for the new liver to be installed, had to heal from a major surgery and he will have to take anti-rejection medications for the rest of his life. Let's hope he has good insurance and won't have to pay crippling medical bills for the rest of his life, although that may just be an American issue. As for Erin, if she didn't poison her family intentionally, she will have to live with layers and layers of guilt. She will also have to live knowing that there are some people who will never believe her innocence. If she did do it, Well, the burden of proof is a heavy one. First, there has to be proof that they were poisoned with the mushrooms, and then intent has to be proved. Testimony from Simon and from the surviving pastor will be crucial to the case, as well as any electronic research that Aaron did. The dehydrator will likely come into evidence, as well as any time Aaron spent foraging for mushrooms with family and friends. One thing is certain— This case will be followed by many, including me, and I will update you when a verdict is reached. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Is Aaron guilty? Let me know what you think via Facebook, Instagram, or Patreon. Don't forget you can head to those places if you'd like to see pictures to go with the case. And, as always, please do all the good things that help this podcast grow. Thanks again, and to all of you, I wish you fair winds, following seas, and safe travels of all kinds.